Now, this lovely lady, Nell, down here said that she wanted to thank some of the Dave. And I noticed Ted was over here on this side assisting some of you ladies to get down the steps. And I love you being up here to serve, sing, and worship. And so, fellas, you are appreciated. But more than that, these beautiful ladies are appreciated. So thank you, all of you. It is a wonderful time to be in God's house. Amen. Sunday morning, there are smiles and love and care and worship. And all because we have a loving Heavenly Father. And I am so glad to be here with you folks again today. And I'm going to tell you, I hope you already know this, but being with you walking through this whole experience with this man of 2,500 years ago by the name of Nehemiah has been an exciting experience for me. Now, I've gotten to know him over the years, but I realize, as I've spoken to some of you, and it was so in my life in the past, I did not know much about Nehemiah. And now to know the man of prayer and passion and power and all that he is and what he did for Jerusalem. Do you understand that there are people doing things for Jerusalem today on behalf of God's plan? And I am so thankful. I hope you are. And then I'll just... A little bit of a word here that I, this means so much to me. I'm so thankful that we have a heritage that includes the Jewish people, that is based on the Jewish people. Now, if I might just tell you a dream of mine, a wish of mine, I'm not sure it's true, but you folks know what my last name is. Can you get more Jewish than that? <laughs> Solomon. Now, I don't know, and I've checked my ancestry a bit, but I don't know if I have any Jewish ancestors. However, I know that the Jewish people were the chosen people of God. And I know that through Jesus Christ that I am chosen. So I'm hoping I've been chosen twice. Now, that is something that is deep in my heart. And I have the privilege, and I'm not going to give you a commercial here, but I have the privilege of supporting some of the Jewish work in Jerusalem. And so maybe that's why Nehemiah means so much to to me, but it's more than that. Because I see God's Spirit in this man. And I pray for that same Spirit and that same courage, that same passion in me and also in you. And that's why it's so exciting to look at these scripture passages, to see what is going on, to see what happened in Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem see what happened in their lives and to celebrate that and to affirm that and to hold that up before you and me 
for a lesson. Now, please remember, and I've said this, I will always say this. These are not just interesting stories, although they are, certainly are. And this is not just a historical lesson, though it certainly is. But this is an applicable lesson, a teaching for you and me in our personal lives and in our families and in our church family. And so please, please, I beg you to take it in, pray about it, read about it. I hope you've read the book of Nehemiah, studied it, and we're uh, looking over the first parts of it in my conversations with you. But it's just such a powerful, powerful statement. Now, I will take a moment to tell you that I will not be with you the next two weeks. And I will miss you, as I always do. But when I return uh, the third week in November, you're going to have to put up with me for about six or eight weeks. I'm going to celebrate all the way through Christmas and New Year's with you folks, <laughs> for which I'm very thankful. Well, you're very kind. We will have a great time. When I return in about three weeks, we will conclude our discussion of, of Nehemiah and what we've been talking about. So today, we look again at some of what I've already said. Now, I repeat things because I need things repeated in my head. And the scriptures repeat things. So it tells me that God knows that you and I need repetition. It's part of learning. It's part of growing. And so I want to remind you that I said last week that Nehemiah was a man of passion. He had a passion for first and foremost his heavenly father. And then he had a passion for this city in which he had never lived, Jerusalem. And his passion was burning deeply and continued to burn throughout this whole story. And I love the passion, and I pray that I would have a similar passion. And then from that passion, he prayed. And then he prayed some more. And then he prayed some more. And then he prayed and prayed and prayed. And then you know what he did when he got through doing that? He prayed some more. Isn't that a great picture of a godly man praying and submitting to the Lord and seeking him out on a, not just every now and then, but just almost constantly, which scripture tells us is right. And so his passion led to his prayer. And then from that passion and prayer came a vision. Not a vision that Nehemiah dreamed up. I don't think that that's right. I, I don't dream up what I say to you folks. I want the Lord to show the vision, to show the words, to show the direction. I want the Lord to show the direction for my life, your life, for my family, your family, and for this church family. And that's exactly what Nehemiah did. He had a vision that came from passion, prayer, and then a vision. Sounds like a great process to me.
And it is. And so we know then, as we've read in Scripture last week and then even partly today, that his vision was for him to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. They had been destroyed 140 years prior to the time that Nehemiah was there in Jerusalem. Think about that. 140 years, 586 B.C. And now Nehemiah's there in about 445 B.C. Long time, destruction, trash, rubble all around the, the city of Jerusalem. Now Nehemiah's there now and he says to the people, we are in disgrace. And more than that, God is in disgrace because this is God's city. And there is trash all around. And Nehemiah is saying to the people, we must rebuild. And remember, that is his vision. And then he tells the people the God story. You remember? The God story of Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, uh, submitting to Nehemiah, his cupbearer, uh, providing for him, giving him all the equipment, the materials, and the the permissions that he needed to go to Jerusalem and to rebuild. He tells the God story. And then people that he's talking to, they are inspired from the passion, the prayers, and the vision of Nehemiah. And they say, let us start rebuilding. And scripture says, then they put their hand to this good work. Now, I want to remind you again of something I said last week. From this, we realize that Nehemiah said that if you're going to move forward in something that God's asked you, you have to face up. You have to look at the reality of what is needed. You have to look at, re at the reality of what needs to be done. And then you have to team up. Now, we're not going to talk about it a great deal today, but next time that I'm here, we're going to look at the mass of people that worked on the rebuilding of these walls. And Nehemiah believed in the teamwork of the people of God to manage and to handle a big task. So face up and then team up. And then he said, you have to gird up for the work. These people had been lazy. They had been neglectful for all these years. And now he's saying, you have to get up and start moving. You have to gird yourself up so that you can work and work and work and work. That's a message for you and me. And then he says that we have to look up. There is his prayers. There is the fact that he is submitted to Almighty God to look up to see what the Father is saying for us to do. And they start to move toward the rebuilding. But I added one more thing last week. Do you remember what I said? Can I give you a test? I, I heard somebody say it. Thank you, whoever said that. I give them an A, okay? Stand up. You have to stand up for what God is saying first. 
But then you also have to stand up against the opposition. You have to stand up against what is evil and what Satan would want to do to you. It occurs to me, and I want to remind you of this, that the Apostle Paul wrote something 500 years later after Nehemiah. 500 years later, but I am absolutely certain that the Holy Spirit, though he is the author of Nehemiah and the Apostle Paul's writing, that this that the Apostle Paul wrote to the, to the Christians at Ephesus, it's in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, it is exactly the aspect of Nehemiah standing up against opposition. And we're going to look at that very seriously here for the next 30 minutes. But in, F, in Ephesians 6, it says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Stand firm with truth, with righteousness, with the gospel of peace. Take the shield of faith and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Sounds like Nehemiah. Sounds like the Apostle Paul, 500 years apart. Last phrase once again. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So now Nehemiah and the people start the rebuilding of the walls. And three fellows show their face. Their names are Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. I don't even like their names. But these are three opponents. Let me say it stronger. These are three enemies of the vision of God. And these three men, they're part of the region, but they're enemies. They're from Samaria and Ammon. They're Ammonites and they're Arabs. They're not Jews, but they have investment in Jerusalem. And they're angry at the Jews, and they're angry that, at anything that the Jews might do that would prosper them, that would lift the Jewish people up. So here's Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem coming into this picture immediately. And they say, what do you guys think you're doing? Are you actually trying to rebel against the king? Now I want you to think about that for a minute. They're talking about King Artaxerxes. Who knows King Artaxerxes really well? Nehemiah. <laughs> what did Artaxerxes do? It just makes no sense that Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem are saying, are you trying to rebel against the one that has already affirmed you and given you the permission to be here? Enemies sometimes don't make any sense. And that's what's happening right here. But the key is, as they 
threw out these insults, and there are going to be more. But as they threw out these insults, what did Nehemiah do? He stood up before them. He took his stand and stood his ground and said, We are servants of Almighty God, and God is going to give us success in this process. And you, Sanballat, you, Tobiah, and you, Geshem, have no part of this, and you have no part of Jerusalem. Sounds like a stand? Yes, it does. And it goes on because Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem are persistent enemies to Nehemiah and God's vision and work. Because in chapter 4, we find that they're building the walls. And the walls are beginning to take shape. And it says that Sanballat and Tobiah particularly are angry. Angry, incensed, furious, enraged. Whatever words you want to use, use all of them. That is Sanballat and Tobiah. And they are ridiculing. They're saying, well, these feeble Jews, what do they think they can do? Are they building this wall so that they can make sacrifices? Do they think they're going to build the walls to where they will rise up and be strong? And then Tobiah is over here on the side, and Tobiah is saying, and this is a weird little statement, <laughs> but Tobiah says, well, if they build the walls, even a fox. Now, I don't know about too much about animals, folks, but a fox is not an elephant. I do know that. And a fox is a little, almost like a little puppy. But Tobiah said, even a fox could get on the wall and break it down. Do you see the, the ridiculousness of their insults? But they're throwing this at the Jewish people to defeat them, to, to eliminate their morale and their motives and their mission. They're trying to take them down by just cutting them down and insulting them. What does Nehemiah do? He prays. Nehemiah prays all the time. And he says, hear us, O Lord, we are being despised. These enemies are throwing insults at us. They are insulting us at every turn. And not only, Father, are they insulting us, but they are insulting you. And they're insulting your work. So do not, Nehemiah is praying this prayer, do not forgive their sin. Do not blot out their sin from your sight. Turn them over to captivity and hold their sins against them because they're insulting us, your work, and therefore, Father, they're insulting you. Now, hold on for a second. That sounds pretty rough for Nehemiah to pray against them. Do you ever do that? But we're taught to forgive and accept and love. Yes. So why would Nehemiah pray such a harsh prayer asking God himself to hold their sin against them, to hold Sanballat, Tobiah, 
and Geshem in full responsibility for their sin. Well, I have struggled with that over the years. I struggle with this concept. I'm going to tell you a quick little story. Many of you know, and if you don't know, uh, I'm thrilled to say that from 1980 to 1993, I had the privilege of leading a beachfront ministry right down the road here from Gaines Grant Baptist Church. We lived and worked in the beachfront three blocks back from the boardwalk on Arctic Avenue for 12 years. In that time, there was much wonderful ministry that took place. But also in that time, we encountered lots of evil. The beachfront was full, as it certainly probably still is now, with the whole subculture of drugs and prostitution and runaways and transients and just a lot of dark stuff. In fact, the first night that we lived in our place on we call Partners Lodge on Arctic Avenue, that night five guys were beating themselves all over the place in the street right in front of our house. And I had two little girls. And I said, Lord, are you sure I'm supposed to be here? But we were there for 12 years. And thrilled I am to say it was one of the highlights of my entire life because God blessed us. However, what I wanted to tell you related to this that we're saying here today and related to Nehemiah's prayer against Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. In 1984 and again in 1987, two different times, two different people, both these men, one was called, or he called himself Doc. He said he had a doctor of theology, a doctor of psychology, a doctor of psychiatry. He had a whole list, and of course he was lying. And then the other fellow called himself Rooster. Strange name, strange situations. Both these fellows were kind of the head of the whole drug, drug culture. Two different times, 84 and 87, we ministered to them, but we also rescued people out of that culture. We drew people away from that culture. We drew people toward us and toward the Lord. And so Doc and Rooster didn't like us, even though we had reached out to them. And Doc in 1984 and Rooster in 1987 threatened my life. They told me they were going to kill me because I was the head of this ministry that was undercutting their evil. Now, could they would have done, would they have done it? Yes. They had the ability to do that. And it's not a real settling thing to think that there are people out there on the street that would kill you. But I prayed, and I prayed, and guess what I prayed for? I prayed for Doc and Rooster to be taken away from the Virginia Beach front because they were doing damage to a lot of people, 
and they were threatening me when we were trying. We were doing good for a lot of people. Shortly after I prayed for, for Doc, he just disappeared. We never knew again what happened to the man. Don't know. He left town. He got killed. Don't know what happened to him. Same thing happened in 87 with Rooster. And soon after I had prayed for him to be gone, he said, fire to a building and got charged with arson and put in jail for 10 years. Now, what am I saying? Evil cannot stand in the face of God. Think about the New Testament. What did Jesus do in, in the 23rd chapter of Matthew? He's, he issued a lot of condemnation toward the Pharisees. Woe to you, you teachers of the law, he said. The Apostle Paul dealt with people very firmly. I believe in love and forgiveness, but I believe in standing against evil. That's what Scripture says. And this is what Nehemiah is doing with Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And he's praying against them. But they don't go away. <laughs> they are a persistent trio, folks. Because Scripture goes on in chapter 4 and says that the walls are being built to half the height. The walls are raising up out of the rubble. Hallelujah. And it says, wonderful statement, that the people are working with all their hearts. Nehemiah has inspired he has taken the stand against the, the evil. He is leading these people. He's working with these people. He's doing as much as they're doing. And they're working with all of their hearts. But other people, even some of the Jewish people, were concerned. They're, the, the enemies are going to attack us. They're going to kill us. We can't get it done. There's too much work to be done. This was some of the Jewish people that were saying this. And the enemies were threatening them with their lives. Sounds familiar? Evil attacking them and trying to defeat the work. What does Nehemiah do? He stands before the people and says, Remember Almighty God and fight for what God has put in front of us. And then they pray and they post guards. Now it gets more serious because they're having to guard their work. And it goes on to tell us in chapter 4 that now the people were working and guarding and fighting fights day and night. This amazing picture, and I hope you've read it, I hope you think about it, but you have a workforce People that are building these walls under Nehemiah's guidance. But what do they have in their hands? They have spears. And they have bows and arrows. And they wear armor. And they have a sword by their side. Can you imagine that? The work that has taken place. Because of Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. They're having to stand guard 
In fact, right at the end of chapter 4, it says that they're there day and night. Nehemiah says, we don't even take off our clothes. We stand guard at night. We work all day. But even when we work, the workers have a weapon in one hand and a work tool in the other hand. Because the vision must go on and the walls are being rebuilt. Now, where are Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem? They're still there, folks. They do not go away. But Nehemiah does not relent, does not give up. He continues to lead the people in doing the work. And now the walls in chapter 6 are almost completed. The scripture says that they're completed except for the doors placed in the frames of the gates. Think about it. 140 years of trash and rubble. And now the, the walls are built up and everything is almost finished. But now what do, what do the fellows do? Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. They change their tactic. Now it sounds like they're more manipulative. They're lying and scheming against Nehemiah. Even though the walls are almost completed. They're so angry. The only thing I can say there is that they, they want revenge. They want to get him and discount him somehow. Even though he has accomplished what God's led him to do. And scripture says that out of their anger that Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem send Nehemiah a message. And say, let's get together. Now can you think that? Can you even realize what they're doing? Let's get together and have a conversation in one of the villages. Come out and meet with us so we can talk over all this that is going on. Manipulation, lies, and Nehemiah sees right through it. And he says, they were scheming. Remember what? I read just a moment ago in Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Be able to stand against the devil's schemes. They were scheming against me. They wanted to harm me, Nehemiah said. And they wanted to do damage to me. Four times they sent him a message. Come meet with us. Come be in conversation with us. Four times Nehemiah said no. And what did he say? He said, I'm involved in a great project. I'm involved in God's work. I'm involved in what I need to attend to. And why would I leave this project and come and spend my time meeting with you because he didn't say this, or scripture doesn't say it, but he knew. Because I know that your schemes and your desires is something evil and something against me in the work. So he did not meet with them. They continued. They sent him a letter that says, we know what you're going to do. We're gonna, you're going to 
start a revolt and you want to be king in Jerusalem and you need to come and talk to us so that we can deal with all of these ridiculous things. What did Nehemiah do? He said, nope, I'm not dealing with that. I'm not going. And he turned in prayer again to Almighty God. And he says, I know that these enemies are trying to frighten us. They're trying to to instill fear in us so that it would weaken our hands and weaken our work. I could talk to you for the next two hours about fear. Fear. Worry. Anxiety. Same words. Same power. And you and I are afflicted with that. You worry. It is a human condition. Fear. Who is the author of fear? Satan. God is the author of peace. And Nehemiah said, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem are trying to make us afraid so that we will be weakened. And Nehemiah prayed a very short prayer. He prayed, Father, help us to strengthen our hands. No weakness. And the walls were completed. Now that's where we're going to end, except for one other word in just a minute. But the walls were completed. How long did it take? How long did it take them to complete the walls? Somebody's somebody's been reading. That's good. Fifty-two days. Now I want you to sit with that for just a moment because how long have the walls been destroyed? Hundred and forty years. Now. When I return in three weeks, we're going to celebrate. We're going to look at the walls completed. We're going to look at the people. We're going to look at the dedication of the walls. Because there is victory here. Because of the passion and the vision and the work of these people under the guidance of Nehemiah and our Heavenly Father. Fifty-two days. Now, one final word before I conclude. Give you a little psychology lesson. I do that every now and then. And it's all based on the prayers of Nehemiah. In his prayers, he developed a great deal of security and confidence. Now, psychologically and spiritually, Based on the Lord, that is really good stuff. Security and confidence. Now, I'm not talking about pride. I'm talking about confidence in the Lord. And Nehemiah was one of the most confident people that I see in Scripture. And from his confidence, he came up with a plan of attack. 
Do you have a plan for stuff in your life? I'm in favor of spiritual, prayed out, thought out, following the Lord plans of attack. How about your life, your family? How about this church family? Nehemiah had a plan of attack. And then in that plan, he had very clear and definite boundaries. Now, boundaries are very important. Boundaries are what helped Nehemiah stand against Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. To stand against the evil. Because Nehemiah knew through prayer and through the presence of the Lord that that was not to be. And there was a definite boundary. And he stood on that boundary over and over and over and over again. You and I need to have boundaries. That is spiritually, psychologically, relationally, emotionally healthy. Very much. And then because of all that, a plan of attack, because of the vision, because of his boundaries, then Nehemiah and all of his people were able to focus. They did not allow things to distract them. You and I get distracted all the time. And we lose sight of what is to be. They did not because in their boundaries, in their plan of attack, they were able to focus to keep their eyes and their hearts in tune with what was to be done. And then the key is, is that they got it done. 52 days, day and night, fighting enemies. The walls of Jerusalem are now built. I love this story. I hope you do too. It is a lesson to you and me. Please, please take the lesson. Let me pray for us for a moment.